Welcome to the Men of Iron Podcast, equipping men for growth in your faith, family, friends, fitness, and finances. Check out menofiron.org to learn more about how you can get involved in or support the vision of changing a culture one man at a time. Thanks for listening. Here's your host, Chad Zook. We all have a family culture. But the question is, what kind of culture do you have within your family? Do your kids know you? Do you lead your family? Or does your wife lead? Is your wife frustrated because you won't take the time to talk deeply with her? Do you know how to defend yourself? What spiritual practices do you enjoy and have you helped your kids practice them? Have you been accused of being selfish? Or do you do honest work? We all have a family culture. What's yours? Welcome to episode 79. We're talking about family culture today in five ways to change your family culture. The word culture derives itself from a French term, which in turn derives itself from a Latin term which means to tend to the earth and grow, or cultivation and nurture. So it means to tend to the earth and grow, or or cultivation and nurture. These are types of things that we see happening within our homes. This is actually uh, connected to what it is that we were told to do in Genesis 2, 15 through 18. This is the scripture. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. Did you see that? And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. That's a message we've probably heard before. And then right after that, there's a very telling verse, of which we will get into in just a few minutes. Verse 18 of Genesis 2 says this, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone, and I will make a helper suitable for him. So, what do we see from this? We see that even the, the mandate in Genesis, in Genesis 2, 15 through 18, that there is a cultural mandate. The word culture that I just defined a moment ago, tend to the earth and grow, cultivation and nurture, this is all part of working in the garden and to take care of the garden. And this is not just talking about the earth, this is also talking about relationships that would come in the garden, which is why two verses later, The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So we are to be culture builders. We we develop a culture within our home. All of us do this in one way or another. You see, I operate off of this premise in life. Every man needs to take responsibility as a servant leader in his home and in his church and in his workplace. That's every man. That's you. Every man needs to take responsibility as a servant leader in his home, in his church, and in his workplace. You see, of the the five ways to change a family culture, we're going to drill down on five things, obviously. But part of these five, uh, they're all going to connect in ways to help us to be servant leaders in our home, our church, and our workplace. If we were to actually embrace this role, trust me, this will change all of our family cultures. This This idea has been a paradigm-shifting reality in my marriage. My wife and I have been married for a long time, and let me tell you, when I found this out and when it it was revealed to me, 
decades ago, this was a game changer. Our marriage has not been perfect. It never will be perfect. But I can tell you, when I embraced the role as a servant leader, it changed. And here's the moment in time I can take you all the way back to the moment in time when this happened. I had gone to a men's event, and I'd come home, and I was broken. I started to realize some things about myself, how selfish I was and how I just kind of waited for my wife to do everything. And I went off and I had my own hobbies and I did whatever I wanted to do. And yet I just left her to take care of the family, take care of stuff around the house and to just honestly do whatever uh, fit my schedule. I was very selfish. So this, this men's event rocked my world. I came home, I was broken, and I was repentant. I was ready to turn around and live a different way. Here's what I did. I got my wife together, my wife, kids, uh, my wife, my daughter, and son together, put them in the living room. I went and filled up a basin of water, and I got a rag, and I slowly and methodically went around and washed their feet. And when I, I washed their feet, I said specific things about them, areas that I had failed them individually. Of course, I took more time with my wife because I had failed her even more so than I had my children at that point. But I took the time, each one of them washing their feet and asking for forgiveness. I didn't just go through and say, oh, I did this, this, and this to cleanse my own conscience. I went around because I wanted to restore the relationship that I had, had broken with them. Even even my daughter didn't even know what was going on. She was, she was so young. But I wanted to set this precedent that I was I was there to serve and not just to be served. This, of course, is what Jesus did. So I'm not saying that I'm Jesus, but this is something that Jesus modeled for us. And we know, just like with Jesus, that was a very humbling thing to do. It was a humbling thing for me to go in there and bring them together, them not having any idea what was going to happen next, but for me to put all my pride aside, all my selfishness aside, and just bring the weight of, of all the things that I'd done to the forefront and ask for forgiveness. And it was an amazing thing that shaped our family culture from that day on. Again, we haven't been perfect. I haven't been perfect. I can still be prideful. I can still be selfish. I can still expect everybody else to do things for me instead of me, do, me being there to serve them. But at least I put a stake in the ground on that day and it said, I'm here to serve you, not to be served by you. So I want to drill down into the five ways. These are not earth-shattering ways. When you hear them, you're, they're going to be familiar. But I know that sometimes just because things are familiar, we just kind of like put this in the back of our mind. I'm like, yeah, I've heard that thing. And, and yet, here's what I want you to do. I want to ask you to do this. You don't have to do anything, but I want to ask you to do this. Lean into these five things. Because I, even if you're, if you're killing it in this area and your family culture is good and not toxic, Here's the thing I know. There are going to be some little little things that are said that can even help you just dial it in a little bit tighter and to, to improve a little bit more. So the first one is this. You need to have a relational presence. You need to have a relational presence. My wife and I, now we're empty nesters. We're actually two days into being empty nesters. It's crazy, but we are. But we have a pattern of date nights. And again, we're, we don't have like, well, it's Friday night. It's 7 o'clock. That's date night. Maybe you do that. Maybe you kill it. That's awesome. Kudos to you. We don't. We just know that there, there are times where we just kind of feel like we need a date night. We need to get out. We need to spend some time, just her and I together, having some fun, maybe a dinner, having some laughs, having some tears, 
just whatever, wherever the conversation goes, it's just to have those moments. A relational presence also like uh, give you an example with my daughter and my daughter literally just left to go to college a couple days ago. Um, when we moved, I live in Dublin, Georgia. We, when we moved to Dublin, Georgia, I was stoked when I heard about the daddy daughter dance. The daddy-daughter dance was something that I I wanted her to get all dressed up. It was a really big deal. Bought her a new dress, whatever she wanted. I, I dressed up because I wanted her to have just this amazing experience. And not just an amazing experience, I was actually setting a standard for her that on her wedding day that she's going to dress up and that there's going to be a man who's going to care for her. And so I wanted her to, to have all of those daddy-daughter uh, dances, and they were they were fun, and we were doing you know line dances and stuff too, so don't, don't think this is all gushy. But we would go out, and I, I would have all these, these things in my head. I said, this is what I want this night to be. So I would have her to go through all the motions, just like my wife did on her wedding, on our wedding day. To, to go and you get your nails done and you pick out the dress and you get all dressed up and you take the pictures and it's a really big deal. And there's the big unveil with me as the dad as I'm dressed up and, and we're oohing on together. And we go in there as a couple, just her and I, and we go and we eat pizza. They always have pizza. We go in there and have pizza. So again, it's it's a lot of fun and a lot of dancing. And I let her go dance with her, with her friends. But for me, I wanted her to know that she was set apart. And that these were just little bitty ways of showing her what her wedding day should be like, that she is set apart and that she is beautiful. And because of that, that, that there is a high level of honor that is due her simply because she's my daughter and because one day she's going to be someone's bride. Say, I'll just summarize it in, in saying it this way and talking about relational presence. Be active in the lives of of your wife and your kids. Be active. Wherever, if if your kids are involved in sports, try to be there during as many of those sporting activities as you can. You don't have to be there for every practice. Don't be that weird dad. Uh, I, I tended to be maybe a little bit overbearing with my kids, and I was there for a lot of different events and practices and sit there, and I wanted to be the coach, and I could not be the coach. But I tried to be the coach, and I tried to do all those things. But here's the thing that I I think my kids valued is they saw me being active in their lives. They saw that I was putting aside some of the things that I wanted to do to be where they were and to do what they wanted to do. And this, you know, is kind of mimicked in Scripture, Colossians 3.19. It says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Love your wives. You can't love your wife if you're not active in her life. You just can't. You can't love her well if you don't know her well. So you have to know her. There's a relational piece to this. So you're going to be talking to your wife and uh, maybe going through devotions or something. I don't know what you're going to do, your spiritual practices, but just talking with your wife, discussing concerns, worries, and fears. I'm going to share with you five levels of communication from Tom Wilhoff, and I think these will give you a great opportunity, really a, just a launching point into how to, to deepen this relational presence piece. And level one is this. It's the five levels of communication. Level one is cliche. It's just saying things. It's just a cliche. Wow, it was hot out there. 
Okay. Uh, and so it's just a cliche. It's just like things that we say in passing. You may say this to a stranger. You say this when you go to the grocery store or maybe your outdoor store or maybe on a hike or the trail or the gym, wherever it is you are. You, we have these little cliche things. Oh man, it's good to see you at the gym today. Yeah, it's good to see you too. You know, it's, well, it was hard to get in here, but you know, I'm here. Now we've got to do some work. All these little cliche things. Level two is this, facts. Now, notice that as we progress down these levels, there's, a, there's more uh, vulnerability that's required of you. So the, the second level two is facts. So instead of saying, wow, it's hot out there, say, I think it was 95 degrees out there with a heat index of 110. That's probably what it is today here where I live. So it, it's factual. It, it's a factual com- a bit of communication. It's just spitting facts, as they say. So this, this is not opinion yet. This is just facts. It's like whatever, you know, this could be a bunch of different things. Level three is opinion. This is where it starts getting a little bit dicey because once you get beyond cliche facts and then opinion, it's, you know, I think today is the hottest day of the year. Or I, I really don't like this time of year because it's so hot and I can't go outside and, and enjoy myself or whatever the case may be. Or, or your opinion, maybe it has to do with politics. Maybe it has something to do with the spiritual thing. Maybe it has to do with a way to actually, you know, to cut an onion in the kitchen. Maybe it's a way to wash the dishes. Maybe it's a way you like to see the floor vacuumed or the floor cleaned or whatever. There's a million different uh, versions of this. Level one is cliche. Level two, facts. Level three, opinion. So that kind of speaks for itself. You're sharing your opinion and you're also giving the other person to share their opinion. Level four, again, we're progressing with vulnerability. Level four is feelings. This, many of us men, we stop at level three. We love cliche, the facts, we're good, we, we're knowledgeable over certain topics, and then we, we like to share our opinion because everybody has an opinion, and yet many men out there stop at level three, and they never get to a place of vulnerability and sharing their feelings, even with their wife or their kids. And this is a great area of failure. Because if if you're going to connect relationally with your wife and with your kids, there has to be this moment you leave cliche, facts, opinion, and you get into feelings. Maybe it's not you just openly sharing your feelings, but you waiting in to hear the feelings of your wife or your kids. And then... Maybe with some you know, some emotional intelligence for you to be able to voice your feelings when you're ready. I realize this is hard and there's a wide spectrum of men listening to this. Some of us, you just kind of leak feelings and some of us have those bottled up and we don't really express those nearly enough. Level five is this. Again, we're growing through these levels with vulnerability. Level five is transparency. This is the real me. The real me is the person who, uh, just the man out there that you have battled and you've struggled and people know you've struggled and yet you've come out on the other side. And there's a, there's a freedom that you have. There's this transparency that you have. There's this vulnerability that you have. It's almost like a feeling of being bulletproof because you've gone through the gauntlet of a bunch of things and you're just like, you know what? 
I don't care if you disapprove of this because this is the real me because I fought this battle and I won this battle or I'm fighting this battle, but I have confidence and I'm exerting courage right now, being vulnerable, and this is the real me. Take it or leave it. You see, your wife needs to know the real you. Practice these five levels of communication. I guarantee you these will change your family culture. Level one, cliche. Level two, facts. Level three, opinion. Level four, feelings. Level five, transparency. That's the real you. Thanks, Tom Wilhoff, for that, Jim. Bob Hole, in his book called Choose the Life, it's a book about discipleship, he says this, Disagreements don't destroy trust. Rather, trust is destroyed by the avoidance of honest, forthright interaction. In other words, what is he saying? He's saying disagreements don't destroy trust. Actually, trust is destroyed by avoidance of honest, just forthright interaction. Ah, oh, man, we want to connect relationally. You see, we can have degree disagreements, but we can still have those disagreements in just relationships of entrusted relationships because we've chosen not to avoid the honest, hard interaction. When we decide that we are not going to avoid the, the honest, hard interaction, we're starting to build trust, and those disagreements won't break us down. They'll actually build us up. Now, I want to transition into this spiritual part, which is next. So I want to talk about fault-finding radar. I don't know where I found this. This I'll give I don't know who to give credit to. Some unknown author I found a long time ago. But a fault finding radar. Again, if you want to to better your relationships, understand that there's a fault finding radar in I believe in in the heart of all of us. And the fault finding radar is this: it's the habit of constantly pointing out people's faults. That's most likely just a reflection of what you've struggled while in childhood or adulthood. So it's the habit of constantly pointing out another's faults simply because it's a reflection of what you've struggled with in childhood. It's a manifestation of insecurity about the very things that you judge other people for. Some people have a, have a difficult time taking responsibility for their own actions because, they, in, because of that, they also, uh, it shows itself by the tendency to project onto others what they actually struggle with. In fact, this avoidance responsibility and a difficulty apologizing to people that you hurt are actually just the trademarks of the constant fault finder. If you are a fault finder with your relationship with your kids, more than likely it says something about an insecurity within your own life, something you've battled with or you're battling, or something you're just simply neglecting. So, you don't want to avoid that responsibility, and you want to go forward even if there's something within you that, that just wants to push back on what I'm saying right now. More than likely, you need to come to terms with the fact that maybe you have a fault-finding radar, and in fault-finding radar, here's the thing. If you use that all the time, you're going to destroy the relationships with your kids. So how do you bring that back? How do you, if you've lived this story, as I've lived this story, I've learned this the hard way. If you've had fault-finding radar, how is it that you can to come back and, and restore that relationship? I enter into the second point of this podcast in just being a spiritual connector. And part of being a spiritual connector is walking in humility. Humility that's based off of, of an acknowledgement of your own failings. 
of your own sins, if you want to call it that, your own iniquity, if you want to call it that, very spiritual terms, but your own failings. Walking with the reality that you're not perfect, just like your kids aren't perfect, so you're not expecting your wife or your kids or your friends to be perfect. Instead, the spiritual connector is is an awesome thing because if you use confession, and that's one of the spiritual disciplines that oftentimes doesn't really get practiced within the Protestant faith. Catholics pretty much have the market on all of this, and they have their own version of it. I'm not an advocate. I'm an advocate for the Protestant version is just going to the Lord privately, you and God, just confessing, sitting there long enough for Him to reveal to you what it is that you've done, for you to, to admit it, ask for forgiveness, and then have that relationship restored. This is the spiritual connector. So for us to be, to be uh, right in our, our relationships horizontally with other people, we have to be right spiritually with God. Because Christian men are God's men. And ultimately, God's men pray. Be known for being a man of prayer. Or, I dare to say, of being a prayer warrior. One of the things that really saddens me within church is oftentimes the role of prayer warrior is about this this little old lady who sits in the back of the church. And, And most people in the church don't even know who she is, but yet she's there and she's the prayer warrior. And I'm calling you up and I'm calling you out. You and I can be these prayer warriors. We don't need to sit around and wait for somebody else to occupy a role of prayer warrior. Let the men of God stand up and get up and be known for being prayer warriors. You want to change your family culture? Just allow your wife and kids to know that you are a man of prayer. Because a man of prayer is desperate for God's intervention. Is desperate for God's connection. And also desperate for God's forgiveness. Again, connecting back to that relational piece. Ultimately, it comes down to this as well. It's not the pastor's job or your grandma's job or the youth pastor's job to get your kids connected spiritually. It's yours. It's yours. It's not their job to make sure that, that your kids are connected spiritually and that they're seeing uh, you know, godly principles worked out in your home or to, to learn biblical principles. That's your job. That's on you. You can't offload that to somebody else. We offload, in the day and age we live in, we offload parental responsibilities to way too many people. There, there, aren't many, there aren't very many dads teaching their kids how to shoot a jump shot out at the basketball hoop like it was in my generation or generations in the past. There aren't many kids whose dads are out there teaching them how to throw a fastball out in the yard as their dad and mom are just sitting playing catch with the kids. A bunch of examples I could use here. I'm passionate about this. You can probably hear it in my voice. It's not the pastor's job to do the spiritual work in the home. It's yours. Step up and do it. It's also not uh, the pastor's job to make sure that your kids and your wife are connected with other believers. That's yours. I love what David Brooks says in a, in a fantastic book called The Second Mountain. And the, I'm not going to even share much of, of this book. I'll probably have a, a whole podcast, or maybe a series later talking about the theory that's discussed with that book. But I love this quote. He says, Community life, care for one another, is built on friction, on sticky and inefficient relationships. I'll say it again. Community life, this is connecting with other believers. Community life, care for one another, is built on friction, on sticky and inefficient relationships. That's an amazing quote 
that David Brooks shares. It's built on friction. Community life, care for one another is built on friction. We're not always going to get this right. You're, you're not going to like some of the things that I say. And, and so I, if we were sitting down having a cup of coffee, you're going to say things that I don't like. But yet, if, if I'm in this community, this community of faith that we call the church, it's sticky. And although those relationships are inefficient, they're, they're going to, you know, there's going to be t- give and take. And sometimes we're going to be giving more than we're getting back. But those are inefficient, but we are in it to win it. It is, uh, it's our job to build a family culture where we have this, this spiritual connection. And this also comes by time alone with God. And know that time alone with God, it preps you for time together with others. So we talked about community life. Time alone with God preps you for time together with others. So some of the uh, spiritual practices that, that I really enjoy, one of them is meditation, not in the weird Eastern sense, but biblical meditation. I love it. it it's helpful. It is, it's helped me to, to really curb a lot of anxiety that I struggle with from time to time. Of course, there's scripture reading, and then there's prayer, which we've just mentioned, in solitude, is something that I've only found over the last couple of years, and it is amazing. And then journaling, and this, I, I've gone back and forth with journaling. I'm currently journaling again, but it's just a great way for me to express myself and to just just to talk. And ultimately, when I write down in my journal, it, it would just be a rambling to anybody else. But I know that it makes sense to God, so it's absolutely worth it. So takeaway number one is we need to have a relational presence. Takeaway number two is we need to be spiritual connectors. Takeaway number three, if we're going to to better our family culture, is to be a provider. To be a provider. So I'm going to break this down. I could break this down a lot further, but I'm just going to break this down into two different ways that we can uh, provide. And the first one is, is this. Through emotional needs so that we're we're the provider of emotional needs and of course this is within your relationship with your wife and also with your kids that doesn't mean that you always need to be gushy that you need to cry that you need to do all these things being an emotional many times just means be available did you hear that being in in meeting these emotional needs sometimes just means being available being available emotional so we need to meet emotional needs of the ladies in our life. I'm going to give you just kind of a, a, a comical way of these eight comical things, the real definition of words uh, when used by women. So the real definition of words when used by women, and let this just be a little tongue-in-cheek but also helpful, and I'm not trying to offend any ladies out there. We can agree to disagree um, and still be friends. So here, here's the real definition of words when used by women. When a woman uses the word fine, she says, I'm right. She's also saying this argument is over and you need to shut up. The, the second uh, word to, words to be defined is that's okay. This is actually one of the most dangerous statements a woman can make to a man because that's okay, that's okay means that she wants to think hard and long before deciding how and when you're going to get paid back for your mistake. The third one is this, nothing. This is really the calm before the storm because this, when she says nothing, she actually means something and you better be on your toes. And here's a little side note. Arguments that start with nothing usually end up with something. And with that something, usually it comes around to her saying, fine, which is I'm right, which means this argument is over and you need to shut up. 
again, it's tug-in-cheek. Just trying to be a little funny here. A little lighthearted. Fourth thing is this. Five minutes. If So you say, well, honey, how long is it going to take? Five minutes. If if she is about to get dressed, this actually means half an hour. That That's what this means. It means a half an hour. Oh, just five minutes. It means a half of an hour. So but don't be too mad about this. It's the same definition for you when it's your turn to do chores around the house. Five minutes. This Oh, the show will be over in five minutes. 30 minutes, hour, two hours later. Or you just forget about it until the next day. You get the point. Thanks. If she says thanks... A woman is thanking you. Don't question this. Don't faint. Don't say anything else. Just say you're welcome and let it go. If you gloat, you're going to find yourself in a world of hurt. The sixth thing, if you hear a loud sigh, it's actually a word, but rather it's a nonverbal statement meaning, go ahead and make my day, as per Clint Eastwood. The seventh thing is this, well, just go ahead. This is actually not permission as what maybe you have thought that it is. This is actually a dare. She's like, oh, seriously. Oh, go ahead. I dare you just, I dare you to try it. And the last one is this, is don't worry about it. I got it. This is actually the second most dangerous statement a woman can make. It means that a woman has asked a man several times to do something, and now she's doing it herself. And this will actually, uh, maybe at a later date, find out or find you asking what's wrong, and and then if and then she may go back to number three, which she says nothing, which is actually the calm before the storm that it means something, and you better be on your toes because. Then that may end up in her saying fine, which ultimately means that she's right. The argument's over. You need to shut up. So we probably just need to let the argument be over and be quiet. Again, just trying to be a little funny um, about emotional needs. So back to some seriousness. To meet these emotional needs, just be present. Just be present. Just because you're in the room doesn't mean you're present. Sometimes being present means we have to turn the TV off or turn the radio down or, or, or we need to make that decision to not eat in the living room but yet eat at the dinner table, whatever the case may be. Just being present, it just means listen. And in, in ultimately, it just means listen. However, there can be a little caveat here in seriousness. One of the great ways that you can either help your wife or your child to connect with you relationally and emotionally um, in, in, in this way, being a good provider, a good provider of a good emotional base is this, is just listen and then ask her, ask her or your kids what they need from you. And if they say nothing, just listen some more. If your wife, perhaps, she says, I just needed someone to talk to, just listen. If she tells you something specific to do, praise Jesus, go be the hero. But until then, just listen. One final thought when it comes to being a provider and just a strong emotional base at home. Very simple. Go give your kids a hug and tell them you love them. They don't expect you to be perfect. They expect you to be human. Go make a human connection and give them a hug. Let's talk about the second here is physical needs. I know this isn't going to pertain to everyone, but it's going to pertain to someone out there these physical needs. For one, it was the emotional needs. There's also spiritual needs, but we touched on that in the spiritual part. But the physical needs. Here's the thing. Some of you need to hear this phrase. Go to work. Don't live off the government and sad excuses. Get off your butt. Go to work. 
but don't live at work. Go to work, but don't live at work. Here's a message for everybody. Leave some margin for home life. Leave some margin. You as, as being, uh, you know, maybe you go to the gym and you just wring yourself out physically and you just crush it at the gym. If you don't have the stamina to follow through on the things you're supposed to do at home, you're failing. Leave some margin physically. Leave some margin for your willpower. Leave some margin for time for what is required at home. And another part of the physical needs is reduce your debt load. Reduce your debt load. This impacts you and your family and just kind of corrodes family culture if you just carry a heavy debt load. Another one is this. Save some money. Save some money. Pretty obvious. Another one is this. Take vacations. It maybe it doesn't have to be some two-week-long, we're going to Tahiti, Hawaii, the Grand Canyon, whatever, traveling near and far, or, or, or far distance. It could be something very close. Just take vacations. Maybe it's just a day here, a day there. Do something. Go to a state park, but take these times out because there are, there are needs that your family has that, that is a physical need of knowing, hey, we can have fun, and this also speaks into the emotional side. I'm going to fly through the next two. Uh, so the, the next one is this. Be an unselfish leader. Really, the rest of the four speak into this, but be an unselfish leader. This is the idea that the, the enemy of, of your leadership could be your hobby. It could be your favorite TV show. It could be your friends if they are not kept in check. Be an unselfish leader. And one more thing to say about this. Make your default message yes. Make your default message yes. You may have to say no, but your default message of yes will help your family not only have more fun, but will also let them know that you have their best interest in mind. And again, what you're trying to do is create a a positive and good and healthy family culture. This is unselfish leadership of saying, my default is yes. And if you have to say a no, then go through and explain to whoever you have to say no to why you said no. Ephesians 5 tells men specifically to love their wives the same way that Christ loves the church. And that is unselfishly. Unselfishly. The fifth takeaway is this. Be a protector. Just the other night, I was just about to go to sleep. Uh, There was a little bump I heard, and it was a weird sound, but it was loud enough to wake me up, like up, up, wide awake. And so what did I do? I got up, I I listened to the sound, tried to identify where it was coming from. I couldn't identify where it was coming from, but what did I do? I got up, and I'd gone through, and I cleared every room in the house. I cleared all the rooms, checking just to make sure, hey, what was that sound? And then turns out it was actually nothing. But here's what I did. I didn't just ignore it. I am the protector of my home. I am the protector of my wife and my children and my grandchildren. I'm the protector in that setting. So as his, I heard that, I'm the one who got up and I did a, a room clearing, uh, just, just cleared every room in the house to make sure that nothing was going on. So here's some, some things to say about this, and then I'm going to wrap it up. To be a protector, 
learn a combative skill. Learn a combative skill. There's all sorts of different combative skills. I've actually got a guest who's going to be on this podcast in a couple of weeks who's going to be able to tell us some specific combative skills to help us. But learn a combative skill. It could be something as simple as boxing. Knowing some boxing is better than no combative skills. It builds your confidence and it also helps your family know that you are willing to protect them if need be. Here's another one that's not as obvious. Train to run a mile without stopping. Train to run a mile without stopping. You never know when you're going to have to do that, to run a mile without stopping. I, I'll just tell you in this way. So a couple of years ago, uh, my family and I, we were on vacation uh, just over the holidays in Philadelphia. I was there on a work trip, but we just kind of added some, some vacation time in. And so we were at the main cathedral that's in downtown uh, Philadelphia, and I I actually did this, but my daughter had a piece of uh, her camera and her lens and all this stuff in a bag, and I told her to basically put it. I told her to put it on this uh, on this seat in the bus. We left the bus. Excuse me. Yeah, we got off the bus and the bus left us. Excuse me. So the bus took off and I realized, oh crap, I don't have this camera. Multiple lenses would have been, you know, thousands of dollars of just, just epic mistake. And it was my fault. I looked up and I, I sprinted. I had the ability to, because I, I trained to run, doing some cardio and running. I sprinted to the bus to, and then I eventually got the bus to stop, and I got the camera bag out, and then I went back, and the temperature was in the 20s. I was breathing hard. I was a mess, but here's the thing. I got it, and and the reason why I had it is because I've trained to be able to run at least a mile without stopping. I probably had to run a half mile. All told, I probably ran a half mile, a quarter mile to a half mile to go run this bus down and then to stop it in enough time. So it's, the, it's being the protector. This is what allowed me to do this. I talked about room clearing. I recommend you do dry runs of room clearing in the dark. Start without a weapon and work into a weapon if you're comfortable with it. So do dry runs of room clearing in the dark. Get used to what it's like to maneuver in your house in the dark. Don't turn the lights on. Walk around in the dark. Get familiar with the door jams are, where, with where the furniture is for you to be able to maneuver in the dark in your home. Study the points of entry into your home and look for vulnerabilities. That's another one. Study the points of entry into your home and look for vulnerabilities. Here's another one. It's going to be controversial. I believe in this. You may not, and that's okay. Purchase a firearm and learn how to use it. One of the weapons I have is a Glock. There are numerous platforms out there for you to choose that are great. Get comfortable with it. Hopefully, you will never have to use it. But it's good to know that you have the skills just in case you do get it in a real-life situation. Again, we hope we never have to do this, but it's great to know that you have skills to be able to use it if you're in a situation that you need to use it. Speaking of that, give your family a code word. This is what it means. So we, our family has a code word. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but our family has a code word. And if there's a bump in the night and people are sleeping, again, it's going to be in the night if something happens like this. There's a code word. I can just yell it out, and people, once they hear the code word within my family, there's a rallying point in our yard for them to go. I, I advise, if you were to be a good protector, and again, building a good family culture, consider giving your family a code word that, that's going to be, act, you're going to use this to activate them into action. After they hear the code word, the instructions 
are leave the house and go to the rallying point in the yard or wherever it is that you choose. Make it easy to find and easy for them to egress into, but give them a family code word. And sometimes you have to protect your families from themselves. So you need to protect your schedules, protect yourself from obligations. Saying no is a good idea when you have to leverage. Saying no is a good idea when you have to leverage your responsibility as a man. It can be a good thing for you to say no and saying no, we're trying to maintain a good family culture. Again, we talked about relational presence, being a spiritual connector, being a provider, unselfish leadership, and lastly, being a protector. Thanks for listening, gentlemen. This went a little bit longer than I thought I was going to. Maybe you have to listen to this in two sessions if it just if it's a little bit over your listening ability, but hopefully it was helpful for you. It's changed my life, and trust me, if you put this into practice, it'll change yours too. This Men of Iron podcast is brought to you by Men of Iron. If you're interested in getting involved in or supporting the vision of changing a culture one man at a time, or you simply want to know more about our Strong 27 mentorship experience, Equilibrium retreats, Anchored Man video series, or Men of Iron Plus, go to menofiron.org.